There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Seven things you don't really need to know or probably should. I'm Kira Revan and this, this is the Sunday 7. On this week's edition of the Signal Award-winning Sunday 7, we get the inside track on the AI Summit. We hear about the science behind naps, learn more about the spread of COVID-19 and meet the AI East. But first, on this day in 1992, a discovery was made in the Zagros Mountains of Iran. Ancient pottery fragments yielded chemical evidence of what happened to be the first beer. It was estimated to be over 5,000 years old and was drunk by ancient Sumerians. Tests revealed that it was made from fermented barley, but we don't know what kind of snacks were served with it. This week saw AI at the front and centre of the news cycle. Between being named as the word of the year by Collins Dictionary, helping to make a new Beatles record and, well, getting involved in your favourite podcast, it was a busy week. Rishi Sunak is keen to see the UK at the centre of the AI debate and this week saw a two-day AI safety summit take place at Bletchley Park. That's the location of the famous World War II codebreakers and a suitably inspirational setting for the world and tech leaders that turned up. King Charles opened proceedings with a video message. If we are to realise the untold benefits of AI, then we must work together on combating its significant risks too. AI continues to advance with ever greater speed towards models that some predict could surpass human abilities, even human understanding. There is a clear imperative to ensure that this rapidly evolving technology remains safe and secure. The US is keen to stake its claim as a leader in AI too, with Joe Biden issuing an executive order this week, which aims to include safety, security, trust and creators' rights. But whatever the benefits of AI, there are already clear signals that the technology is being used for disinformation by bad actors. US Vice President Kamala Harris says we need to be very clear on the risk this technology could pose. When people around the world cannot discern fact from fiction because of a flood of AI-enabled mis- and disinformation. I ask, is that not existential for democracy? The world's richest man, Elon Musk, was in attendance. He's been very negative about AI at times, saying it poses a risk to the continued existence of mankind. But he was sounding a little bit more mellow about it after his visit to the summit. Well, I, I think it's, it's a step in the right direction, the summit. A little bit of fear is probably wise. I think most likely I should say that my personal opinion is that AI is, is sort of like at least 80% likely to be beneficial and perhaps 20% dangerous. Well, it's, it, this is obviously speculative at this point. But you know, I, think, I think if we um, hope for the best or prepare for the worst, that seems like the, the wise course of action. <laughs> the, worst, the, worst, the very worst could be, you know, extremely bad. But um, I think the probability of extremely bad is, is low. I think, we, but I think the more we, we, we pay attention to it, the more we care about it, the more we minimize the probability of something going wrong. With an impressive guest list, including EU President Ursula von der Leyen, Elon, Kamala and heavy hitters from the worlds of science and technology, the summit can certainly be seen as a diplomatic success for the UK. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak was pleased that his gambit had paid off, with even China sending a representative. AI has the potential to transform our lives in every aspect, from healthcare to education and our economy. Thanks to the actions we've taken this week, Britain is well placed to be at the forefront of that change. 
Ireland has just introduced a new scheme which sees the government fund IVF treatment for couples. It caused some controversy with strict restrictions on BMI and age and it's only available to couples. In the UK, IVF is available through the NHS, but a new investigation by Sky News suggests that here too, single women are being discriminated against when it comes to fertility treatment. Jennifer Lon Hokey is a single woman who desperately wants to be a mother, but she's encountered nothing but obstacles. We almost get punished for not just accepting any bloke and not being careless. I do sometimes go, if I'd been a bit more frivolous in my younger life, then at least I'd have a child. From the time when I went to my GP initially, just to get some exploratory tests, it's actually been eight, eight years to the point of getting IVF. And it was like pulling teeth at every stage. She's not the only woman in this position, and because fertility is such a time-sensitive issue, long-running battles for treatment just make the process harder. Between 2019 and 2021, there was a 44% rise in the number of single women seeking IVF treatment, but the rules around it are far more restrictive. Professor in Human Rights Law at the University of Birmingham, Artina Jarjuska, says that the current legislation is discriminatory. Single women should be treated similarly to same-sex couples because inevitably they are in a similar situation if it comes to their ability to conceive. So I would see this as a discriminatory treatment. I I do think it's a human rights issue. I think it can be seen as a human rights issue. Chief Executive of the Fertility Network UK, Catherine Hill, says the rules need to be reviewed. Policy needs to change to reflect these changes in society. They are small numbers. We know that NHS funds are limited, but these small numbers are not going to break the bank. So government should be looking at policy to support this. Still to come on the Sunday 7, why afternoon naps can keep you young and Will Guy talks us through the Beatles' new single. A new study suggests that the urge to have the sneaky afternoon nap might actually be a good thing. It shows that those who take regular naps tend to have larger brains. Why is that important? Well, as we age, our brains tend to shrink, which can contribute to cognitive decline. So taking regular naps may actually keep our brains younger and sharper. Victoria Garfield is a research fellow at the University College of London, and she says that for maximum benefit, you should limit the duration of your nap and aim to take it around lunchtime. There's a bunch of experimental American studies and what they looked at was essentially whether people who napped versus didn't nap um, had any cognitive benefits. These studies showed that it looked like people who took a nap did have better cognitive function, so their thinking skills improved, whether that be things like how quickly you process things, your memory, those sorts of thinking skills. So the biggest takeaway is that we found a very clear effect of having a regular daytime nap on the total size of the brain. One of the issues that that people say often, if you sleep for too long in the day, is you wake up feeling groggy, you wake up feeling worse, and that's because you've gone into deep sleep. Your brain is preparing in mimicking that sleep at night and thinks you're now ready to sleep for the rest of the day. So in order to avoid that, we've been quite conservative and said, well, maybe something up to about 30 minutes. You want to find somewhere, you know, as quiet as you can to take your nap take a break from your phone your ipad whatever you you know emails 
Where it can be tricky, I suppose, is that if you're wanting to persuade employers to have a space for people to nap, how would we go about that? And of course, that's difficult if you're in the middle of a city, busy office. But we do have, for example, where, where I work at UCL, we have prayer rooms for people. We have um, rooms for uh, breastfeeding. So I think something similar where people can also nap and, and leave your devices behind and try to take that rest. This week has been non-stop AI, so it would be rude to do this week's tech chat with our resident tech guru, Will Guyot, and not ask him what he made of it. So, Will, were you impressed by Rishi's AI Fest? Well, I'm thoroughly confused by the whole event, to be honest. There are some reasons to be cheerful. Uh, the very fact that a number of countries, over 20, came together and suggested that there should be regulations in place for artificial intelligence is at least a start. But the reality is they didn't decide any of those regulations were. They've just said that they'll come back round the table and talk again. Um, I think there was a weird focus on some of the wrong people in that room. Uh, the very fact that Elon Musk was there and you had this bizarre interview with Rishi Sunak that turned into some strange love fest, which shouldn't have happened. There were far more interesting people in the room who could have given their views on the future of artificial intelligence. And maybe the Prime Minister himself should have been answering some questions rather than just asking them in the worst impression of Jeremy Paxman I think I've ever seen. Do you think it will actually achieve anything? I think over the next year or so, we're going to need to see what comes out of conferences like this. The fact is that all countries are getting involved. There was a really deft move by the US just 24 hours before our conference. All of the AI experts had flown into the UK and uh, Kamala Harris invited them to the, uh, the US embassy in London 24 hours before to talk to all the key people about some new guidelines and regulations that had been announced in the US the night before. So there's clearly some global power plays going on within this world of artificial intelligence and it's not just the US versus the UK. Uh, China are really interested in being a world leader and uh, if you look into Europe you've got France and Germany both thinking they fancy a place at the table too. So it's going to be really interesting to see what comes out of this and I hope we can move along beyond all these awful conversations about artificial intelligence being essentially the end of humanity or robots chasing us or uh, the rise of the Terminator. The reality currently to anybody listening is that artificial intelligence is likely to make unfair assumptions about you when you're trying to make an insurance claim or you're trying to even find insurance at the moment. That is the reality that's happening right now. We're not at the stage yet where this is thinking for itself and doing all of these negative things that the more doom-laden mongers are believing that it will do. There was some unexpected AI from the Beatles this week too. What do we know about their much-hyped last single? The Beatles song is really interesting because there was actually a quote from George Harrison and George Harrison said back in 1995 when they'd had the first stab at this song, I hope somebody takes my old demos after I'm dead and turns them into hits. And that's the reality here. Obviously, this has been a labour of love to Paul McCartney and it's waited for te- they've waited for technology to get to a stage where they've managed to separate the vocal away from, I think, the piano and even a TV that was on in the background on this really low-grade uh, demo tape that was recorded in, in, in John Lennon's flat in the US. So... There is artificial intelligence involved in this song. I think they're very nervous to suggest that it might have been used to compose new bits of vocal. Uh, They're just suggesting currently 
that it's separated out all of the constituent bits which have enabled them to now get a really clear interpretation and use of John Lennon. But some people are actually suggesting that uh, there may be some AI enhancement to John Lennon's singing which would be a whole different argument. Now that hasn't been confirmed, that's just been much of the chatter around the internet. Um, I think this will probably be the start of a lot of this. I think you're going to find other musicians and other uh, estates with uh, lots of recordings that just frankly weren't good enough to be used will probably be raiding those cupboards. So to come on the Sunday 7, we tiptoe around Britain's biggest sewage plant and we give you an AI surprise. Right after this. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome back. This week has seen COVID back in the news as the UK's COVID inquiry moved into a phase where it examined the leadership during the pandemic and what exactly went on behind closed doors in Downing Street. It's been a pretty depressing spectacle with internal rows between advisers, Dominic Cummins ranting about former PM Boris Johnson and a series of bad decisions that led to misery and excess deaths in the UK. Now as winter rolls around again and COVID cases rise, there's also been new research from the US on the nature of COVID and how important the airborne transmission of the disease proved to be. Professor Joe Allen of Harvard School of Public Health says the length of time it took us to recognize this risk made a big difference. The original sin of the pandemic was the failure to recognize airborne transmission. Think about the public health gains we've made over the past hundred years. We've made improvements to water quality, outdoor air pollution, our food safety. We've made improvements to sanitation, absolute basics of public health. Where has indoor air been in that conversation? It's totally forgotten about. And the pandemic showed what a glaring mistake that was. One of the other issues that we failed to understand quickly enough was the dangers of viral load. In other words, it made a big difference how much virus you came into contact with. That's where masks and more people wearing masks really did help to cut down an infection, as Virginia Tech University professor Lindsay Marr, an aerosol science specialist, explains. We were able to show that they block particles that are the same size that carry the virus. Because we, at that time, we were not working directly with the coronavirus. So we use kind of substitute particles that were the same size. The way a mask works is through filtration, which is not sieving. So we're not just pouring our pasta through and letting the, the big chunks, you know, not go through the holes, but it's a t- really a different process. So what happens is that the virus is being carried through in the air and it has to go it's not just going straight through those holes it has to like weave around all these layers of fibers in there and as it's going around the air is going around the curves the virus may crash into one of those fibers and so then it's trapped or maybe it comes up close to the fiber and brushes against it and the really small particles like the virus by itself if it were by itself 
would be small enough that it undergoes these random motions because it's getting bounced around by the gas molecules and it ends up crashing into the fibers of the mask too. And so there was, you know, accumulating evidence and there had been kind of a handful of papers before that too showing the same thing that masks, even cloth masks, do something. Sewage has been a hot topic recently as untreated waste released into rivers and the sea seem to have become a common occurrence. Campaigners are concerned that the infrastructure of Britain's sewage system is too old and is in desperate need of upgrading, but the private water companies have been slow to spend the money needed. So Sky News sent their intrepid reporter to Beckton, that's the UK's biggest sewage plant, which processes waste product from 4 million households. So what does happen after the flush? Director of Wastewater Operations Tessa Fairs explains. What this plant is doing is it's effectively a pressure cooker for our sludge. We apply intense pressure and heat to the sludge so that it breaks down the organic cell matter so that it can generate the most biogas from the product. Because what happens after it's been through here is it goes into our digesters and in there it's producing, it's resting and it's producing lots of lovely biogas for us to use in our generation process. And this site itself, um, with the plant here um, and another plant um, on the same site, generates 21 gigawatts. And that's, just to put that into context, that's enough to power 21 million homes for an hour. All of it from who? This week's episode has had plenty of AI stories, but we've one more surprise for you. If you've been listening to The Smart 7 this week, you've actually been listening to an AI version of Jamie East. Isn't that right, Jamie? Hi, Kira. Yes, that's right. I am Jamie East's voice, but I'm also AI. We cloned Jamie's voice by loading three hours of audio into a sophisticated AI simulator, and now they make me say anything they like. I love Rishi Sunak. I think Nigel Farage is a handsome man, and my dream is to be on Celebrity Hunted. Well, that last part is true. Anyway, the team at The Smart 7 will continue to research and write the seven biggest stories every day. They'll just use me to voice our weekday episodes so that we're always as up to date as we can possibly be. That's J.I. Me East, but rest assured, The Smart 7 is curated by humans, just voiced by AI. And I'm 100% real. It hasn't just been The Smart 7 that's been playing with AI presenters either, as Fleur East on Hits Radio introduced her AI version this week too. Good morning, Richard and Kate. I see you're joined on the sofa by my human counterpart. <laughs> that is amazing. That wasn't, that wasn't you. That's not me, no. That's a synthesised voice. Yes, exactly that, yeah. That AI is no replacement for <laughs> us human beings. There's no interaction really, no emotion. She can't really take part in the banter. No. Right. No, the intonation is odd. She can't laugh. Right. Did you have to, make to script her laugh. that? Did you have to script that for her? Or, or is no, she, she, just she's let, her, let just... her fly. This has been the Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.